Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 729 with Paige Presley. We are afraid to have the conversation that the fundamental expectation is flawed. The fundamental transaction between rate of pay and expectation of input is unrealistic and unfair. Because here's the thing, if you want to ask me to like run a business, right, and work 80 hours a week, cool. But like for 75 grand, like what other people are working that hard and using that much of their, I mean, their physical and their intellectual and emotional capital, right, to really put in and give something, everything they got for like basically being able to pay their bills and like drive a Chevy Malibu. You know what I mean? Like, the transaction is fucked. It's fucked. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on Restaurant Unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt. And you can't just adapt. You have to adapt fast. With Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, you will get one month free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. Let me tell you about a little green book that will change your life if you're anything like me and your strengths are with people, not numbers. It's called QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for, and trust me, it will change your life. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reportings that will enable them to make better informed, data-driven decisions to learn more and to get a copy of Zach's book, head to ZachWeiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E-I-N-E-R.com slash unstoppable. And if you use that link, my listeners will save 50% off a one-on-one consulting call, but you got to use that link or use promotional code. Don't stop. Margin Edge is the only restaurant management system to combine automatic invoice processing with POS and accounting integrations. This improves financial performance, visibility, and efficiency. Their own CEO owns two restaurants, and he personally has felt the impact of COVID-19. And as a result, Margin Edge has decided the best way to support their network is by giving their full platform free for new customers until September. To learn more, go to me.margineedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable. What's going on on Unstoppables. So Paige Presley is joining us today for this chat, and it's a good one. Before I tell you what's going on in today's episode, let me remind you that Toast POS is our first ever CPA sponsor, meaning they don't pay us 
unless we get conversions for them. But the thing is, you have to use our link and you can't already have a pre-existing relationship with Toast, meaning you can't have already reached out to Toast. They, you can't be on their radar is another way to say it. So if you are interested in Toast and you want to get up to $2,000 worth of incentives, up to a thousand with what they're offering, and we're gonna match that another one thousand dollars. You gotta go to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. Do it right now. Just get on their radar. So you can, if you choose to go with Toast in the future, you can get the best deal out there. And also shoot me an email, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Let me know that you used our link so I can get you on my radar and make sure that we get you your one thousand dollars. So great episode today with Paige Presley. Uh Man, so much covered in today's chat. We talk about the the power of having clarity in purpose and vision, trading time and energy for knowledge and experience, how to listen better, doing whatever it takes to work in the right restaurants, getting on those right teams, how to do precision and quantity well, advice on kicking substance abuse issues, what Uchi Restaurant taught Paige about creating a culture, using structured time blocking to control balance in life, why having experience running restaurants won't prepare you for opening a restaurant, advice for getting into a partnership, tracking numbers daily being crucial in being able to, to know what your progress is. And then lastly, he gives us some, some great advice on launching a digital brand, digital dining clubs, which is what he's doing right now. Uh, Foxtails, great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. Here it is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Paige Presley. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable? Today? I absolutely am. I always feel unstoppable. <laughs> yes, that is what we like to hear. So, Paige Presley got his start in the culinary world where he grew up, Santa Fe, New Mexico. He continued on to the Culinary Institute of America, Hyde Park, New York City, or just New York. Uh, correction. Uh, upon graduation, Presley returned to the Southwest to manage kitchens at several highly acclaimed establishments. In uh, 2011, he moved to Austin, Texas to join the Uchi team as sous chef and later uh, became a corporate executive chef for store restaurants. He returned to uh, say this for me real quick. Name this Pujol, Pujol in yeah. Mexico City until 2015 when he came back to Austin to head up the opening team at Ember and Rye as chef de cuisine and partner. Today, Presley serves as the founder and chef at Foxtail, a seasonally driven uh, experiential at-home dining experience. I cannot wait to get into that. I think it's really, I don't know if it's because of what's going on in the world that you sure. decided to do this or whatever, but I think it's really interesting. I can't wait to pull back the layers on that. But before we dive into your story and find out who you are, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, mine is clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Uh, obviously from Friday Night Lights, which is... Um I don't know. I mean, the, the merits of the show can be debated um, to a great degree. I mean, I think it's like probably one of the best um, major network dramas. Okay. You know, obviously, you know, I mean, that 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 is a loaded statement in and of itself. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's something that always stuck with me. Um, and I think, you know, I got it. I got a tattoo to my arm. Say so, it one more time know, for us. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full, full hearts, hearts can't, can't lose. lose. But what does that mean to you? Why is that? So sorry? I think, you know, with clarity of vision, you can see what you you have in front of you with a full heart. You can approach it with compassion um, and then you can't lose. Yeah. You know, um, 
Beautiful. I think really dive into that word clarity though, because that's something that doesn't come up a lot. I think heart is something that's kind of goes hand in hand with hospitality. Sure. But what is clarity? Like, I think clarity is something uh, it's pretty hard to maintain in this business because we kind of always have our head down and we're Mm -hmm. focused on the thing that's happening 30 seconds in front of us, which is of, I mean, of course, something necessary as you, you know, kind of gain more and more success and have more and more responsibility and are not responsible for your station, but then your kitchen, then your business, then multiple businesses and all those things. Right. Um, you know, having that clarity and sense of purpose to yes. see in front of you, um, is not only important for your own success, but all the, all the people relying yeah. on you for their financial life. Yeah. And I, and I think the, the word that was coming into my mind was clarity of purpose. And you yeah. literally said it, I think also clarity of vision. You know, mm-hmm. like where do I want to be? Totally. And when you have that clarity of why you exist and where you're going, you can get there so much faster well and so, so much more intention. Right? Absolutely. Um, I love it. So where does it make sense to start telling your story? When did you know that this was going to be your path? Well, let's clarify this okay. first, right? Um, are, are, are we talking about cooking um, in general? Um, are we talking about I would say professional, working in restaurants? Professional uh, uh, culinary path. Got it. Okay. Um, so I was 19 years old. I had just finished my first year of college at the University of Arizona, to which I uh, was highly acclaimed for my um, ability to drink and uh, do drugs. Um, so that's what I mostly did there. Um, and also, I just kind of knew at that point, I, 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 I sought out to be a, a psychologist um, that was what my mom was, my stepdad was a doctor. And so I figured, you know, I'll kind of follow kind of loosely in the family footsteps and realize like, Hey, like the next eight years of academia are not for me. Mm -hmm. Um, while I may have, you know, to some degree the aptitude to do that, um, the want was literally zero, like 0%. And so I'd always enjoyed cooking ever since I was a child. So I went back to my hometown, uh, and walked into the best restaurant in the state at the time and said, I'll work for free until I'm worth paying. Yeah. Um, which took a little bit longer than I, I anticipated. <laughs> How long did it take? <laughs> like six months. Damn. So you worked for free for six yeah. months. But yeah. I think at the same time, and I, I think... I mean, we, that's how it was back then. I know. It's weird. Like... W- w- there's, it's a weird subject because there are people that will argue, you know, like, you know, like you, you ask, like get paid what you're worth, right? Like ask for mm-hmm. money, like don't take a job for nothing. But at yeah. the same time, you got to look, if you're going to one of the best restaurants in that area, what you're getting is so much more valuable than 10 bucks an hour. You know, you're getting an education. You're Couldn't getting more. I mean, I think people, right? I think too, you know, it, it, it shines a light on, um, the broad ineffectiveness of, of culinary schools in general, because what you can get from, let's call it 18 months in a really top, I mean, a really good kitchen, um, is always going to outshine what you get from that same period in culinary school. But most importantly, what you get is whether you get to realize whether or not you like it. And that's something that without giving someone a hundred thousand dollars, exactly. And that's like, you know, I mean, I mean the predatory, I guess, realm of, of, you know, whatever is going on in the world, um, as far as, you know, kind of student loans and, and culinary school and stuff like that is, is, is hugely problematic. You know, yeah. that, that's pretty well documented. And I'm not saying it, it's horrible to go to culinary school, like, no. but like at least know without a doubt that that's what you're meant to do. Cause it, I mean, you can't, there's a lot of benefits to going to culinary. School. I think one of the biggest benefits is the access to the network that those people will be able to, if you're that's serious, yeah. yeah, like they're yeah. going to put you on a fast track. They're going to connect you with the great, the greatest restaurants in the nation. Totally. And I think that is worth it. Um, but so many people when they're 18 years old aren't thinking like that, you know, well, and also, they're doing what you did when you were 18 years exactly. old and they're wasting the experience. Exactly. And also they, they, I think, I mean, you don't have the understanding of how hard it is. You know, 
you need to know that, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's so many people I went to culinary school with and I, and I had a great class, you know, um, you know, three or four people in my class, you know, have been the head chefs of anywhere from one to three Michelin star restaurants. Yeah. You and know? And um, so, yeah. You did end up going to culinary school. So I yeah, know you're I probably mean, right there with me. But yeah, gone to and, that part and, of your story and, I mean, I look at like what I got out of it and I, and I would say network is the biggest thing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and even that, like some of like the best students in my class, they're like bank tellers now, mm. you know, or like, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, cool. <laughs> like I'm super glad you're happy, yeah. but you didn't need to do that to become a bank teller. Exactly. You know? So let's bring it back. Let's go with the ground level here, surface sure. level. Um, your first restaurant experience, you approached the, the, the best restaurant in Santa mm-hmm. Fe, the Santa Fe, right? Yeah. This time? And, um, what did that conversation look like? I know you were willing to work for free, but really get into like how you got your foot in the door. Why they even like wasted their time on you? Well, so, not wasted their time. You I know mean, as is the case in so much of the world, you know, largely nepotism. Um, so a friend of a friend was one of the investors in the restaurant, right? Uh, and so I said, "Hey, we know this kid. He's super motivated. Wants to pursue as a career. We'll do anything, right?" Which, yeah. which was largely true. You know, like I, I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Knew that, you know it was going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it was just up for that, whatever that was. Um, and so I walked in, I said, Hey, I have no tangible skills. I'm going to, you know, I mean, it was just like, okay, I'm going to learn how to cut garlic and chop parsley and like French a rack of lamb and like really, really basic stuff, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I did that for a few months until they put me on the cold prep station and then, and then pastry prep at night, did that for a few more months. Um, until it was like, okay, cool. Like you're part of the team, you're working the line every night. Um, and while I was doing prep during the day, um, I was a food runner at night to actually make income and okay. to be able to pay my bills. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So what, what were you learning during this time? Like what were the biggest impressions that were made on you during this time? I mean, a sense of organization. I, I mean, this restaurant was so far ahead of its time mm-hmm. because it was a, what was the name of the restaurant? It was called Trattoria Nostrani. Uh, and so it was a 40, 45 seat tasting menu restaurant. Um, we grew almost 50% of our produce on site wow. because it was so small. And I mean, in that climate, in the climate of Santa Fe, mm-hmm. New Mexico, just like being able to do that yeah. is like takes, a good amount of planning because it's such a harsh climate. Mm. It gets pretty hot and dry in the summer and pretty cold and dry in the winter, yeah. you know? Um, so that was that. Um, yeah. So what about people? Any key person, any key leader that really made an impression on you? The head chef of the restaurant, her name was uh, Nelly Maltizos. Um, she was this Spitfire 502 uh, Greek woman. She had been a sous chef for Daniel Baloud and for Charlie Trotter Okay. Um, before that. Um, and she was just incredibly talented, probably still the best line cook I've ever worked with. Beyond her skill in the kitchen, how was she as a leader, as an owner? She would never, she would never ask you to do something she wasn't willing to do. Mm. Um, I think that was, you know, the, the, the first time that I really saw like real leadership in the sense, like whatever I'm going to ask you to do, I've done it for 20 years. how did that make you feel? inspired and, 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 and afraid to let her down. You know, I mean, I knew that if I didn't, you know, break down our shared station properly every single night that she would come in the next day and be like, well, why the fuck didn't I do this? Mm -hmm. You know, because I could have done it better. So what would, if, if she did come across something that she knew could have been done better, how would she address that? Depends on the day. Okay. Um, you know, she was sometimes very kind and very forgiving and very understanding. Um, if you kept making the same mistake, which I did early on, frankly, um, you know, I, I, I had some, I had some habits to break regarding a couple things, right? I was not the best listener. Um, and so I, 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 I stumbled through certain parts of like getting better. Are you a good listener now? 
better. What what's, Always working on it. What does that process of becoming a better listener look like? Not thinking about what you're going to say next. Okay. How do you do that? You just like just listen and be like, okay, cool. I'm not going to respond. I'm just going to actually process these words and process these thoughts and internalize them. And I think that's a lot easier to do when you're just taking directions. Yeah. Conversationally, it's a little bit harder. Compassionate emptiness is a a term very well said that, well, I can't take credit for those words. (laughs) Um, I can't, uh, uh, um, Howard Bihar, recent mm-hmm. guest on the show, who was the president of Starbucks when they scaled massively uh, yeah. his book, It's Not About the Coffee, talks about compassionate emptiness, which is just like when when you're go- like, it's an exercise. It's yeah. hard to develop the exercise, but when someone's speaking to you, you just have to internally shut down and just in that moment develop compassion for that person and just you have to be empty on the inside and just take it all in. It's hard to do. It's not easy. Totally. Um, but it's worth getting into. It's good practice. Yeah. Uh, wh- what else does she teach you about being a professional? That sense of organization, sense of cleanliness, um, a real dedication to quality uh, of ingredient, source of ingredient, um, and just really specific seasoning. Okay. Um, that's something I learned very early on to, to taste and taste and taste and taste and taste and, and, and to not just follow a recipe and say, okay, if it's done on the piece of paper, then it's done, right? It do- if it's, it's not, not on the piece of paper, would you say it one more time? So if it's not on the piece of paper, it doesn't mean it's done, right? Okay. You know, um, you know, a recipe is a guideline. You know, it's 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 broad strokes. Cooking's done with your senses. Okay. Uh, and every ingredient's different, right? Every like, it's 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 always going to require, you know, a certain percentage of just understanding fundamentally what you're doing in that moment and the differences between ingredients because you know a tomato one day is not the tomato the next day yeah right and that, that's literally what i was thinking about like the the depending on the season right mm-hmm. or maybe the recipe to get that flavor you might need to i don't know like add an extra tomato or i don't i'm not you, the chef but you know what i'm saying you have to cook that way no, yeah yeah it, it, it's 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 absolutely requisite i think when you're you know coming from a perspective of wanting to make the best food and execute it at the highest level and have yeah i think the most important thing when you're cooking a dish multiple times is understanding that every day it's different mm. and like holding space for that and then and not being frustrated by the irregularities but actually embracing them. So um, one thing I'm curious about is um you know like the recipes help us keep standards, right? Mm-hmm. And and we're we're trained to follow the recipe down to the gram, right? Um but you do have to follow your your instincts with your taste. How how do you approach that situation? Cuz my taste might not be the same as your sure. taste and, and and our sense of taste isn't standard, right? Completely. So how do you get consistency with different palettes? tasting things. So I would say, um, there's a couple different guidelines, right? Um, I don't cook with recipes. Okay. Um, at all. I'm, some, I'm the same way. Yeah. Like I grew up in an Italian, a little bit of this, a little uh-huh. bit of that. Exactly. Taste it. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's always just been the way that I handle things. Um, I think that when it comes to seasoning, there are a couple like percentage points that you can like kind of use as rough guidelines, right? Um, Generally speaking, um, if you season something past 1.5% salt, most palates will perceive that as salty. Okay. Mine starts at 2%. So I know that if I perceive something as salty or in fact, like on the line of being perfectly seasoned, I know that it's over seasoned for your average palate. I really like salty food, right? You know? So how do you communicate when you're working with a team of people Mm -hmm. and how are you just making sure you're tasting all the time? Mm So when you say this is what it should be like, it's, it's relative to them tasting it. And like, how does that communication go to get consistency? It's across practice and okay. understanding the goal. Because what I understand is that I'm cooking for a group of people 
and I have to, it's it's my job to connect what I perceive to be fantastic with what the largest amount of people are going to agree with me on. Gotcha. Right. And so I, it's my job to understand that relationship. Right. Then it's also my job to make sure that everybody's palate is aligned with that ideal. Okay. You know. And so good cooks will understand that pretty quickly. I mean, we call it palate alignment. Got you. Um, so yeah. Yeah. We don't get into the, the cooking side of things often a restaurant unstoppable, mm-hmm. but uh, thank you for going there. So yeah. one other thing I want to pull from your story up to this point too, you said um, what you learned was um, what organization was, Yeah. Uh, but you just said organization, but give us an example of what great organization looks like. Uh, and I don't know if you can reflect back to that time to give me an example of something that this chef did. Um, but can you? Yeah. I mean, it, just, you know, as simple as like, okay, we're breaking down our station at the end of the night. Um, you know, everything's going to be like recontainered and downsized and organized by dish. And so when you come in the next day or when you're filling out that prep list at night, you have a very clear visual indicator of what you have left, where it is, how it's organized. Um, and so those things are automatically set up for you, right? You're setting yourself up for success in that mm. regard. Um, and that's something that, I, I used to have like a messy room and wasn't the cleanest kid and stuff. Uh, and so when I started getting really into that organization in the restaurant, it totally spawned into the rest of my life. That's um, amazing. In, in a borderline OCD way. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, in some restaurants, you're setting yourself up for success, but mm-hmm. in other restaurants, you're setting up the morning crew for success, totally. right? And that idea of just like everything has its place, right? Mise en place, mm-hmm. everything. And when what, what's the benefit of setting up by plate though? I've never heard that. So... I mean, essentially, I I will usually set up my station that way. Um, so if I'm working a station, I'll say, okay, here's all my things for this dish, this dish, this dish. And that way, when I'm plating those things, I can space out the plates. And this goes here, this goes here, this goes here. And I can kind of set them down or, or set them up to knock them down, you know. Yeah, gotcha. um, and being able to kind of just know where that stuff is is much more helpful to me rather than like, okay, I'm reaching for parsley. Where did I put the parsley again? Gotcha. I know that parsley goes on this dish. It's here. So how long right. did you work for this restaurant? Uh, say it for me one more time. Trattoria Nostrani. Okay. Trattoria uh, Nostrani. They've since closed, uh, but they, they had a, almost a 10 year run, okay. which was great. And um, I know you said you worked there for six months before you started getting paid, but how long were you there altogether? Two years in total. Uh, I went for a little bit over a year before uh, culinary school. And then I actually came back um, after culinary school. Where were you when you left? When I left. As far as like where you were professionally, you said you were there for a year before going to culinary school. So I was on the cold station. I, I had done pastry prep. I had done morning prep and I had worked garbage at night and done both like all the whole garbage station. I had not been a hotline cook yet when I went to culinary school. Got you. And where were you? Did you like, it sounds like you're pretty much like dead set on this path. Cause you went to Hyde park. I mean, that's a big, community. yeah, it, it, it was, I knew within about 10 minutes of being in the kitchen, I was like, okay, cool. This is home. Okay. Um, and the reason why that was is because I connected it to actually sports like that adrenaline and that pressure. I, I grew up playing a lot of sports. And so that adrenaline, that pressure, that need to perform. There's weights sprawled throughout yeah. the uh, apartment. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> um, and so that need to perform was something that I've, I've always been attracted to, you know, um, it's, uh, it's, it was not the most logical connection, but, like once I kind of like understood that and like why I was feeling that way, it's like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense, yeah. you know? Um, so so you ended up going to the culinary school. Any mm-hmm. key mentors here that any professors, chefs that made an impression on you? Honestly, no. Okay. It was, it, yeah. I mean, there were a couple moments of, of, you know, kind of, I guess, difficulty and triumph, but 
I'm in touch with almost no one from that period of time. I, I stay in touch with two people. Um, and that's pretty much it. You know, like my, my roommate early on and then my roommate later on. Okay. That's pretty much it. You did mention the, the benefit of the networking, the, mm-hmm. of opening the network. Did yeah. that happen for you? Did you have a chef or did the school help you get, I know you like, we're no, actually quite the opposite. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I wanted to go work at Le Cirque at that point, which was like the, epitome of French fine dining uh, at that point in time. It was, it was just starting to kind of crest and be on its way down. But like, from my perspective, it was like, it was like there in the French laundry. Like those were the two places that like I wanted to work. Right. Um, and so they had just started growing as a company. So I went to the New York location was like, okay, cool. I want to do my internship here. Um, and the school had no contacts. Okay. So I literally, I got, so I got the number of the, the kitchen phone at their Bellagio location um, from a friend who knew the pit boss okay. at the Bellagio. And then I just called that number incessantly until someone answered <laughs> and it happened to be the head chef. And he was like, who keeps calling this number? And I was like, Hey chef, I've sent you like all these resumes. And he just, I mean, I was like, Hey, I'm going to come out there next week. I want to stage. I want to do my internship there. And, and he was like, okay, cool, whatever. And so I just showed up like, and he was like, oh, yeah, that kid, he's working here. Now. But I love this. And I think that the th- if you want something, you got to percent. You have to go grab get it. it, you yeah, know, man. like do whatever you have to yeah. do to get as close to that thing as possible. Mm-hmm. Calling people like it's it's just like, um, you know, I, I always say it's circling the drain, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a graphic image, but circling the drain, like you get closer and closer and closer and eventually you get into the hole. Right. And, yeah. you, and, and like, but you, you got to get it close, you know, you got to circle as much mm-hmm. as possible. And eventually they'll be like, what is this thing circling? Like, and they'll notice you, uh, but it leverage your network, you get that phone number, whatever it yeah. takes and, and be relentless uh-huh. until they tell you to like, stop yeah. or else there's like a yeah, either say order. like yes or fuck off right that's what it comes down to yeah um, but i love that i think it's a great example um so you you they finally say yes come on mm-hmm. what was it like being there this is where this was it what you dreamt it would be this was your dream right working for this restaurant i didn't really have any understanding of what i thought it would or wouldn't be i just wanted a i wanted like a big like internationally known name on my resume that was like okay, this is a brand of quality. This is something that will always be on my resume that like people will always associate with high quality. So that was like the number one purpose, right? Um, and then two, to just get as far as I could in the time I was gonna be there, right? Um, and so I was able to work every station but one um, while I was there. And so, I mean, it was a great experience. I, I, I learned a ton, I came back, you know, I started there as, I mean, a person who just had garbage experience. I came back as like a seasoned hotline cook, you know, in a, in a tasting menu restaurant, um, you know, doing really, really, really elevated, uh, really expensive food. Um, you know, I think somewhat impractical. Yeah. Um, cause one of our, um, our assignments as an intern is you have to cost the whole menu. And so you have to understand like, you know, you know what that is. Right. And so when I went to cost the menu, I got all these numbers and, you know, I was doing this whole book and putting it together. And what I realized is that like a lot of these numbers were like, like, like these dishes are running, you know, over a hundred percent food costs. Damn. And it's just like subsidized by gambling money. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, so it's not really a realistic place to learn. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, great. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's one place to learn creativity. Totally. And technique. And volume too, because yeah, it volume. was a, it was a really rare occurrence, especially then, of like having this like really, really elevated menu, you do like a twelve course tasting menu. And we had like 
150 seats. What'd you learn about volume? Give us a specific lesson. Just like, okay, cool. Like if I'm on the beef rossini station or if I'm on the hot app station or if I'm on the lobster salad station, right? I'm going to make like 300 of a couple dishes and like each dish has like 20 touches, you know? So like that, just that, like that sheer exercise and precision and volume at the same time and the expectation, um, I think was probably a very strong indicator of the type of restaurants that I would work in in the future and the skill set that I would develop. What's the secret to doing precision and volume well? Because I feel like those are two things that either it's one or the other. Totally. So how do you do both those well? You have to understand how to balance a labor model in which you pay better people more money to do better work supported by just enough people to realistically get the work done. Yeah. And I right? think the other thing that you mentioned too is that you do you get one person to do one thing. That one that person mm-hmm. is doing just the lobster plate or whatever. Totally. You know, totally. and, and, and there are specialists and 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 so it's a really interesting thing, right? You have these specialists that are like, okay, like this is gonna be like my pasta person or or my lobster salad person or whatever. And and then you also have like half of your staff has to be fighting for the next sous chef position. Yeah. Cause if they don't have that drive and that talent, they won't be able to do the job you're asking. That's them to the do. cookie. Like that exactly. that's the, the reason for showing exactly. up. Yeah. I love that. I think there's that that lesson can be applied to what we're learning in business right now, generally speaking, like it's, if it's better to be able to do one thing really well, if you want to be the, like do one thing better than everybody else. And if you do it, if that thing is the only thing you do, mm-hmm. you can put all that energy into the one thing. That's where you get that precision in volume. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're seeing it as a trend with throughout the industry. Like you see people like all we do is Nashville hot chicken. All we do is, totally. you know, pizza, all we do, like yeah. fill in the blank. And like, if you yeah. can be number one in a city, then, and, 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 and those concepts are always my favorite concepts. Yeah. You know, even, Why? I mean, no matter how, I mean, either nice or casual they are, I think something that's driven by a singular purpose rather than having like this place you go and it's like, okay, this is like a diner menu. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's uncompelling to me. Like the having <laughs> to say, okay, cool. I have 50 choices and I know that all of them are going to be okay. Yeah. You know, I'd rather have the opposite experience. I'd rather have 10 choices and have them all be excellent. I love it. So what brought you to Austin, Texas? Um, basically getting sober, um, and having some family as a landing pad here, you know, that was 12 and a half years ago. Uh, I had just gotten out of rehab and I went okay. back to Santa Fe and was like, Ooh, I cannot walk around the city and see every street corner for what it used to be and have someone ask me for drugs the every other night. You know, like, yeah, it was rough dude. Yeah. It was. And I mean, it's a small town too. Yeah. So, I, I still go back there sometimes and see people and 12 and a half years later, they're still like, Hey man, you got any shit? And I'm like, I haven't seen you in 12 and a half years. <laughs> yeah. At least say hi first. Right. Uh, you so, know? <laughs> um, so let's also, go- no, I don't, I fucking don't have any fucking drugs on me. I mean, I'm, I have my son with me. Could you piss off? Yeah. Right. But like, can, let's go back to that real quick. Cause yeah. I feel, feel like this is something that a lot of people, obviously there's an issue with uh, substance abuse in this industry. Sure. So how did you kick it? Like what, like where, like paint the picture of where you were, so, why you needed to kick it yeah, and how you did it. I had stopped cooking. Uh, I had, I, I basically took a almost two year sabbatical from cooking. Uh, I was just dealing um, and using drugs. So it's like I, 2013 I mean, or 2012 to 2014? No, this is um, 2007. I got okay. sober in 2008. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so. When did you go to Hyde Park? Uh, 2003 to 2006. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. Um, and so, or was it 2000? It was 2002 to 2000. And yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyways. I digress. So yeah, um, I was, you know, I was just kind of like going slow, like just further down, further down, further down, further down. Um, 
until, you know, I found myself in this like super shitty relationship living in this super shitty apartment. Um, and my best friend, my mom and my old boss from the Italian restaurant uh, that I worked at, um, basically staged an intervention. Um, and had it been a day before or a day after I would have been too fucking stubborn to take their advice, but they showed up after a really bad night. Mm. Um, and they knocked on, on the door just at the right time where I was like, just waking up, just being like, what is my life right now? It, it was, I mean, it was, it was totally a moment of, of, I mean, real clarity. And I mean, I, I basically, you know, I sat there, I heard what everyone had to say and I was like, yeah, I'm ready. I knew I wasn't going to drink or use drugs again before I even got to rehab. What were they saying to you? They're just like, are you ready for help? Like, 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 like have you done enough yet? You know? Yeah. And about a year and a half previous to that, I had, you know, had a really strong wake up call with drugs and alcohol. And so I took like a three month sabbatical. Um, and then the first night I had a glass of wine. Second night I had a bottle of wine. The third night I had a bottle of whiskey, a bottle of wine Damn. and a bunch of drugs and, and was off to the races and then woke up, I mean, a year and a half later. What basically. makes you listen? If somebody's in that situation right now where, where they, they, maybe they're suppressing it. Maybe they don't want to accept it, that people are trying to reach out to them. Mm-hmm. People are trying to help them. And I think that's the only way you're going to do it is if you, if you get the help that you need. Right. Totally. Um, I think some people are able to kick it on their own mm-hmm. uh, and you know, kudos to them. But I think most people will need that help. And as I soon totally as, agree. as soon I, as that, that help ship sales, like the likelihood of them coming out of that is going to be even harder. So how, what, what, what advice do you have for that person that is clearly getting the offers for help? But so here's the thing. It? I think so many people are afraid to put their life on hold. And they'll come up with a million reasons why I can't do this or I can't take the time off of work or whatever. And that 28 days that I got away from life in treatment, that was the difference. You know, if I would have tried to do like outpatient or something like that, I don't think it would have worked. You know, that period of time, and I, I didn't go to a shiny or fancy rehab at all. It was a state run. Like, you know, it was, it was half rehab, half like basically like storage facility for like mentally ill homeless people. It okay. was rough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's a wake up call, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so I think just, being able to say, Hey, you know what? Like my, there is no greater priority than my well being, And the only way I'm going to ensure my well being is to get enough days and like the feeling of consistency of not using drugs and being in a new environment to then feel comfortable with when you go back to your old environment, at least you're comfortable with not using drugs and drinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, I mean, back, I mean, why is it so important to get those amount of days is it because of habit or routine or is, is that? So yeah, generally from? speaking two weeks, okay. uh, it takes to form a new habit. Yeah. Um, and so if you give yourself, you know, double that, yeah. um, your chances are a lot better. And I think the, back to why you came to Austin, the best thing you can do is remove yourself because exactly. all habits have triggers yeah, and, exactly. and you're, you're surrounded by triggers when you're around these things. So if you can remove yourself from those triggers and develop new routines, new habits, it's easier. So like if you're in a situation, maybe remove yourself from your environment mm-hmm. and, and go someplace where you can start over and develop totally. those new routines, which is something that you didn't seem to work for you. I mean, um, was funny I, story about that actually. So I go got for here about six months into being here. I realized that this like small friend circle that I had from Santa Fe, um, had all moved here. Oh really? Um, and they were like, you know, they were like not, you know, like huge drug addicts or partiers or anything. So I actually like ended up reconnecting with those nice. people. And that was an incredible support group, um, in, in early sobriety. And, and, and what's funny is that once I got about a year and a half, um, I actually started going back out, um, to like bars again, just cause like, I mean, that one I was like, okay, I'm 26 years old. Yeah. 
how else am I going to meet women? Yeah. You know, that whole thing. And just like, I I wanted to have a social life. Um, And so nightlife became a really integral part of my life in early sobriety, which was really interesting. Um, But you were able to manage it. Yeah, totally. It was never a temptation. So what was different? Um, There was, I, I mean, there's this thing i mean i mean in aa uh, and in sobriety where like you know they say like like the the want to do those things was removed from you mm. um and i i can't speak to why it was gone maybe it's the people you're surrounding yourself it, with because do they want to do gone. that too like i mean there was never a moment where it was like they had to like you know like yeah. grab a drink from my hand or be like no 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 it was like there was no frankly they weren't even that conscious of not using like i i mean really anything around me it was just like i didn't want to do it yeah you know interesting interesting so um you come on to uchi right that's mm-hmm. the first place you work when you land in austin texas uh this is 2011 mm-hmm. uh wh- where was uchi at this time so they were really cresting um they were like i mean really on the come up they had opened their second restaurant they're about to open their third um their head chef their second restaurant was about to win top chef you know it was like they were they were crushing it, you know? And so I started as a line cook, got made sous chef in a couple months. Uh, and then they were like, okay, cool, we're opening this restaurant in Houston. We're gonna send you down there. Um, and, you know, it was very much like a sink or swim environment. You know, we opened up and it was insanely busy to start this out. This Uchiko. Uh, this was Uchi Houston. And then I came back and ran Uchiko gotcha, gotcha. for two years. So okay. I did a year in Houston before I, so I did six months at Uchi proper, a little over a year in Houston and like two years at Uchiko. I, okay. did, I did the whole circle. Was there anything that was unique about this restaurant group that was new to you? That was a new lesson or a new approach. Um, I think that they elevated my sense of purpose and they created space for me to finally pursue, um, my creative interests in a way that like I actually, was able to kind of really execute in a high level way. Um, you know, I, I, I had had time to do that, you know, in previous jobs and like made like specials and stuff like that, you know, but like once I really got into the groove of understanding the company, like on a cultural level and then like knew how to do the operation side after a few months, I realized that my creativity had this like amazing home and this amazing outlet. And so I just started creating prolifically. Uh, and that's really where I started to develop my vision for food. Um, and I, and I, and, and I would say, I thank them for that. You know, it, it, it was a huge growth period for me. So some, a bunch of things on package. I mean, just the idea of, of giving your people a sense of creativity, what that does, um, finding your sense of purpose and then also learning their culture. Mm-hmm. Let's start with learning their culture. How did they teach you their culture? Um, through a fairly purposeful training program. I mean, especially when you talk about how, you know, the, the kind of average standard, like small restaurant group back of house training usually works. Um, they had, they had some really great kind of cultural ambassadors that were in charge of training and, and were in charge of training for that reason. And it's not, it's Paint not because, that, they, sorry, keep going. It's not because they were the best cooks in the kitchen or the best chefs in the group. It's because they were going to teach you how to interact in the group. And if you didn't see that and didn't latch onto it, you wouldn't be a fit. So this is huge. How did they teach you how to interact with the group? Just, just by acting that way. There okay. was no, there was no, there was no verbal communication. This is how you do this. How you don't do it. It was just, it was, I mean, it came down to emotional intelligence. Honestly, mm. it was, it was just, okay, dude, do you see this? Do you see how this is happening? Are you going to be a member of this or not? And you know, and then with my next, you know, three years with the company, you always knew within a month if something yeah. was going to work out or not. So do you see this? Do you see how this is happening? Do you see our culture? Do you see how our culture is working is what I understood mm-hmm. from that and paint that picture of how their culture was working. What was it about their culture and how they were training it? That was so significant. I think it was just treating everyone and everything with a certain degree of respect and dignity um, that, you know, 
is generally sorely lacking in a lot of restaurants, you know, just like the, the, like keep your station super tight, you know, like respect tempura batter enough to, you know, make it so that, you know, I mean, you're making it multiple times a day. So it's perfect all the time. It's like those, like those, I mean, those little things and then like really respecting one another. Yeah. You know, how do you teach that though? I mean, you can't teach someone how to not be an asshole. You know, they're walking in the door (laughs) with that or not. Um, I mean, otherwise, it's just systematic standards of this is how we do things. And there are those people, like, like there are always the people that be like, okay, cool, I get it. And then they try to find ways to shortcut it and, okay. like, make it better for them. But those people would always weed themselves out. Yeah. And that's the one thing. Like, if you set your standards and you communicate the expectation, you'd almost never have to fire anybody because they always it, fire themselves. They can't. Totally. And it was so group managed, too, which was so interesting to me, is that, like, the chefs were, like, so seldom had to come down hard on cooks because the cooks would come down hard mm. on cooks. You know? What do you think the secret is to creating a culture of that level of excellence where people just have that level of pride, that level of give a fuck? It's hiring. Yeah. It's, 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 it's having standards. And then smartly hiring people who share those standards so that you're not managing their behavior because their behavior aligns with your expectations. Got you. Um, Say that one more time. I want to make sure I really got it, though. Can you say it one more time? It's hiring people to ensure that their behavior aligns with your expectations. Yeah. So Um, what's the secret to that? Is it is it? I mean, I, I kind of have a It's just understanding guess. people. It's, 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 for me, it's sitting down and having a conversation about anything but food. Yeah. Because I want to I wanna see the whole picture, well, right? I want to know what you do outside of the kitchen. I want to know what your life's like. I want to know if you have a sense of balance and purpose and drive and what your values are. And so if I can understand those things, I can understand how you're going to be in a kitchen and I can teach you whatever yeah. you need to know. I think the big thing that really hasn't come out yet, and I, I'm assuming that it was here, was communicating your values, your mm-hmm. expectations. So they have an aiming point so they can, they have something to align to. Cause sure. you can't just expect somebody to align with you without saying, this is what we are. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. I mean, that's why we write down things like our purpose statements, sure. like our vision statements, like having core values. Cause there's no second guessing. It. It's there on paper. This is who we are. Do you align or not? Yeah. I, and I, and, and I think too, when you have those things that are high level enough, Um, because I think when you like drill down to like the real purpose of those things, they are expressions of like who human beings are on their deepest level. And I think that you have a sense a lot of times if you, I mean, interview someone more than once about like whether your guys are going to be kind of close on that or not, you know, if you're like, uh, I don't know. In my experience, you're never surprised with it being a yes. You're always reminded that it's probably should have been a no. So, you know, yeah, this is great stuff. The other thing that I really want to pull from this is, um, giving you a creative outlet mm-hmm. and, and, and how, how do they set up? I mean, I think there's a lot of pride in the restaurant industry, right? And a lot of control over standards and expectations. Somebody like Tyson Cole, right? Who's well known. Um, how does somebody who has so much respect give up so much creative freedom at the same time? Because it, it was his greatest tool to success. And so he like has so much, like if you're a real creative person, he's like, cool, man, do you. You know, and, 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 and like, that was the coolest thing about our relationship is that like, I mean, there'd be tastings where I would, I would put up like eight or nine dishes, um, at once. Right. And be like, okay, these are the special I want to run. And, and he'd be like, okay, like this is a bit much, um, (laughs) you know, but he had like, we had this like deep connection on a creative level, you know? And so, you know, there was always that connection. Right. And, and we always respected each other on that plane and connected on that plane. Mm. Um, that I think, you know, when you are driven by creativity in that moment, you know, there's just this kind of unspoken understanding 
of that there are some people that are able to do that and exist in the world that way and some people that that aren't you know and not to knock anybody that isn't or that or that approaches their process with a more left-brained approach um there's nothing wrong with that that's that's valuable in its own way um it's just different yeah you know and so there's like there's this like emotional understanding of creativity being an emotional expression. But when you were able to have that, like the sky is the limit approach mm-hmm. to creativity, um, how did you start showing up differently when you had this outlet to be, to create, to, to, to express, how did that change your attitude about what you did? What's so interesting is that I think it was in so many ways wildly productive to my career and pretty detrimental to my personal life hmm. because it, it was this thing that I, I, I've, I've always had, I mean, trouble balancing anything, whether it's creativity or drug and alcohol abuse or physical fitness or the amount that I work, mm-hmm. you know, that that's kind of my cross to bear in life of, of, of knowing my own limits and constantly checking myself. Right. Well, and so it, yeah. it, it was that again of like, okay, cool. Like I have this thing and I'm just gonna go so hard in one direction. And while that was like so great for the restaurant in so many ways, and it and it was you know very inspiring for a lot of the people that worked in that kitchen at that time, um, it definitely didn't allow me to create space for you know my then marriage mm. or you know the the family we were trying to build at the time. You know it 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 was this thing of like, well, this expression, this, my need to do this is always number one, right? And everything else comes second. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's often said on the show that your your greatest strengths are also your greatest weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And being obsessed with something or being obsessive about something, mm-hmm. like you say, going so extreme into one direction, while that's what it takes to become successful in this industry sometimes, it's mm-hmm. also the thing that will break you. Um, it, yeah, and it, and, it, and it absolutely did, you yeah. know? And, 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 and that is, that that fundamental concept is what informs my present reality probably more than anything else. So what did you learn about yourself and how to, to balance this? Um, I learned that I'm not good at balancing it. And so what I need to do is structure my life in ways that that fundamental structure is the balance. Right? How- and so if I lean too hard in one direction or start doing one thing too much, that allows me to check myself. So how do you, give me an example of what you're doing to your life to put structure into it, to, to keep you balanced. I have enough different projects that bring variability and balance to my life that if I don't hold to that structure, I inherently know that I'm not balanced. What holds you to that structure? Literally scheduling my days. Okay, this is what I'm getting at. So yeah. what does that look like? I mean, my iPhone calendar, like they're, they're like, I, I schedule my, like I schedule my workouts. Like mm. it, it's, it's, you got to block time. And I'm, and I'm not that person who's like, so a type that like everything needs to be meticulous. But what I realize is that if I don't do that, the fallout that can happen to those that I love and care for can be catastrophic. Yeah. And this is something that I'm struggling with right now too. Like, cause I like to be, I like to say like I exist and I thrive in chaos. Mm-hmm. I like, I don't, I like to just throw myself into a city, start talking to people, follow leads, totally. not have a plan because it opens up more opportunity. Totally. Um, but at the same time, like when I think of like blocking time, I think like that's so restrictive. Like that's mm-hmm. so like, Oh, that, that's, that, that, that existence sounds so horrible. Totally. But the, the truth is from what I understand, and I haven't even mastered this either we hope to Casey and I hope to master this as we start to develop our community. We start getting time blocked. Like we have to time block our, what we're going to be doing to execute this community. We're trying to build um, is this idea that when you live intentionally and you, and you control your time, that is the ultimate form 
of freedom. It's just, it's just yeah, a little totally. it's drawn out because you're saying this is what I want to do. Exactly. And if you are controlling your time mm-hmm. and you're blocking the time to do the things that are most important to you to make sure you get those things done, then that's freedom. But totally. it's, it's just, it's just a, it's just not short term. It's a little bit more long term. Exactly. You've got to plan it out. Yeah. Um, you get that. You have to have that mindset mm-hmm. though, that this isn't restrictive. This is me yeah. and it, organizing myself so I can have the ultimate freedom. It's hard because I think, you know, I, I just kind of went through this again recently um, and, and was like, and it, and I've gotten better at recognizing it, right? You know, it, it doesn't turn into this thing where something starts bleeding 80 hours a week of my time for six months. Mm-hmm. It bleeds like 20 more hours a week than it should for a couple weeks. And then it's like, Hey, we're moving that direction again. Let's just course correct. Yeah. Right back to where and the more you do be. it, the more you, you, exactly. you get better at recognizing when you're getting off course, totally. the easier it is to get back on yeah. course. Well said. Um, awesome. Um, so, uh, any other big lessons working under Uchiko? The, the, I know you, you you spent some time in Houston and you came back. And I mean, you... just the experience of doing it was great. You know, I made a lot of friends there. A lot of a lot of you know, I mean, really like lifelong and and career long like personal friends too. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was it was a great experience. You know, I I think I got everything that I could have possibly gotten yeah. out of it. <coughs> you, Excuse me. You need a um, second. <laughs> which uh, which you can't always say. You know, I I think like it was one of those instances of I left at exactly the right time. Uh, I got everything I wanted out of it and I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. And I feel like Uchi at this time for the past 10 years and to this day has been like a bright light, like, like attracting moths, you know, like totally and, and like so much talent gets attracted yeah. to that. And when you, when you get yourself on a team like this, that you are the average of those you surround yourself with. Now you have your friends or people exactly. who are going to like, you got, you're comparing yourself to, to equally passionate people. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. Um, how has that served you to this day? This, this, this having this now, that network, network yeah. I mean, getting back to networks, that's been the network yeah. that has, has proven the most valuable for sure. Yeah. And I think I'm going to lean on this topic of the, the significance of network uh, as we progress. But um, you, I know you left Austin for a short mm-hmm. while to head up to Philadelphia. You yeah. So that's, Star. and that, and that was post Uchiko. So I left Uchiko for that job. So um, what was the reason for leaving Uchiko when you, I mean, you're on such because a Because I was, team. I was a head chef at this restaurant for yeah. two years. Right. I'm like, okay, well. I don't want to be the head chef of this restaurant forever. They're not going to build me a restaurant. I don't want to be on their corporate team because there there weren't enough concepts or kind of forward growth for that to really make sense for me in a way that was going to be like dynamic and compelling and a good learning process yeah. for me. It would just be kind of like, okay, cool. I'll go like work like 35 hours a week and just kind of fuck off a bunch, which like, cool. If that's what you want to do. That's just not anything that serves me. Yeah. Um, How did you know they wouldn't build you your own restaurant? Because I asked them. Okay. Yeah. Said, hey, you want to build me a restaurant? They're like, eh, it's just not really our, our side. I was like, okay, cool. I totally get it. Uh, because they they had already been through that experience with Paul, and I and, and and they just, you know, I understand why that was just a hard no. They were never going to allow a restaurant to be defined by a personality anymore. Mm-hmm. Tyson was their one personality. That's it, yeah. you know? And that's smart business. I yeah. totally get it. I respect it. Yeah. Um, and so I said, okay, cool. Well, what I'm going to do then is kind of do, go do the exact opposite and get like a ton of high-level like concept building um, like hardcore corporate experience at a very high level um, so that I can really understand now how to build restaurants from the back end and not just how to run restaurants. Yeah. You know, that's a really important thing you just brought up. It's one thing to know how to operate in a restaurant, how to run a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Building a restaurant is a totally different set of skills. Totally different set of skills. Yeah. And, 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 and I would say that even though I got that experience with star where I opened five restaurants in a year and a half, um, that, I would say I, I, I'm just now comfortable with my ability to like walk through that whole process as far as opening a restaurant. So what are the biggest lessons about opening a restaurant you learned during this time? 
Um, the amount of things you have to realize you don't know and then learn, right? Um, just from every single point of opening, um, the amount of variability from city to city, which, you know, you think you can understand one set of laws, one place, and then you go to a different place and you're like, it's wildly different, yeah. right? Uh, and then just like knowing that and then being able to approach it appropriately. What was know? the biggest thing that you did not know or realize about opening a restaurant that, that you discovered during this experience? <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> or a couple things like um, just I think the degree to which you have to be involved in every step of the process. You know, like when I first got to New York um, with Star, we walked into this huge Mexican restaurant we we're opening, and I walked into the kitchen we we're touring it. This was like two weeks before opening, um, and I was like, "This whole kitchen has one floor drain." Why is that an issue? Um, because if you want to clean the floors, where's the water going? Mm. And so if the only floor drains in dish and, and, and this is not a small kitchen, you know, this is a 3000 square foot kitchen. Yeah. Um, maybe 2000, I'm probably exaggerating. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was like, oh, guys, you know, and, and, and so like ju just things like that, that can like happen yeah. with millions and millions and millions of dollars being spent on something. If one person takes their eye off the ball, yeah. right. You can end up, two weeks before opening with one floor drain. So what's the secret to el eliminating um, as many of those curveballs as possible? Very defined scopes. Okay. Very defined scopes. Like, so, like, and, and, and scheduled check-ins, you know, and I, and, and I think it's really important for the right people, specifically operators to be on site um, at multiple stages during build out. I think so many people say, Hey, we're not going to pay the operators to be there yet, or they don't need to be there yet. Or, or like whatever operators are always going to see things that construction folks will not see mm. or, or that builders won't see mm -hmm. or that planners won't see or the architects won't see. Right. Gotcha. So why were you only with uh, star for a year and a half? Was, did you just go to get that experience? I went to get that go? experience. It was never in my eyes, a long-term play. Okay. Um, it was, and also it was an incredibly hard year. Um, I had my son that year. Mm -hmm. We moved, we moved to Philly. Then I ended up basically living in New York, like apart from my wife for most of the time. Um, and then they moved us to Miami because they had this kind of like crisis of management down in Miami. They're like, Hey, you're like the only person that knows how to do this type of cuisine. So we're going to move you down there. We're going to give you a bunch more money. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I'll do that. And I did that for like four months. And I was like, I, I just can't do this anymore. Why? It, it was too. it ultimately wasn't serving what I wanted to do every day, how I wanted to interact with food, the relationship I wanted to have my legacy with food. I didn't want it to be, um, something that was so driven by volume and showiness, uh, and money. Um, I, 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 I wanted it to be something a little bit more authentic to me and mm -hmm. my values. Um, and I, I, at the same time was struggling with exactly how to express that and find that. And so that's when I connected with the Emmer and Rye guys and I'm forever grateful yeah. for them I mean, for helping me find that voice. It, and it sounds like too, during this, this year and a half period, like you're just, your family like is in yourself. You're it was just, so hard, dude. You're just spread apart. It was apart. so fucking yeah. hard. Um, I, I mean, the fact that my wife didn't leave me then is a complete testament to her. Yeah. You and, know, and I can only imagine like I, I, I can't, completely compare myself to your situation. I wasn't married over the past two years, but just all the traveling over the past mm -hmm. two years, like you don't realize how important regular relationships are in your life. Yeah, and man. when you're constantly being uprooted and you don't have that regular person that you can just like, blah, like offload totally. to and be like, this is what I'm going with. And this is, and like, 
it's amazing how much we need people. And if, and if you're struggling right now, you're listening to this, like ask, do you have any regular people in your life? And if you yeah. don't, then maybe get some. Um, yeah. Did that? How did you overcome this challenge of not having your wife and, and your child with you and like these regular people in your life? I don't think I did overcome it, to yeah. be honest. Uh, not many I, people can. I, I I think that you know all my relationships suffered. I suffered. I was not the best version of myself to my employer or or to the people that I loved. Why do we do this to ourselves in this industry? What what's going on? We are afraid to have the conversation that the fundamental expectation is flawed. The fundamental transaction between rate of pay and expectation of input is unrealistic and unfair. Yeah. And one of the reasons, because here's the thing, go, if go. you want to ask me to like run a business, right. And work 80 hours a week. Cool. But like for 75 grand, like what other people are working that hard and using that much of their, I mean, their physical, and their intellectual and emotional capital, yeah. right? To really put in and give something, everything they got for like basically being able to pay their bills and like drive a Chevy Malibu. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, the transaction is fucked. I mean, it's it, fucked. You know, I think it comes down to, to ego, you know, it comes totally. down to pride. It comes yeah. down to, and we're all just trying to flex our, our, you know, our muscle against each other. And it's but about, here's the thing is that when you fundamentally let go of that and you say, okay, I'm done, right? You actually have given your ego more because you've said, I'm worth more than this. Mm. I can do better than this. I can fundamentally put the power in my hands to change the nature of that transaction to be more beneficial to me and the people that I care about the most, Yes. right? Yes. Because that power, that choice you make every day of how you spend your time, that that's one of the few choices that you get. And 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 I think that we've, we, in kitchens specifically, but also in restaurants, view ourselves as powerless to the restaurants that we're beholden to. You're never powerless. You always have a choice, you know? So, so that to me, well, I completely relate it. I mean, to feeling powerless, it's also a bullshit cop out answer Yeah, because at some point anyone can say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm worth more than this. I have more to offer the world and go out and do that in, in, in whatever way compels them to. Yeah. And I'm, I'm loving that we're going into this and we're during the, like the, we keep on referencing this time, this current time we're in right now, mm-hmm. uh, this awkward time with COVID uh, as a opportunity to pause. Yeah. And a lot of people saying we get to choose how we come back. Mm-hmm. And I hope that people are taking this into consideration um, about what, why are we like change comes from within. Mm-hmm. Like we, like we can't expect somebody to do something to our industry to make a change. If, if we're going to create change, we need to create awareness about, Hey, Hey, like, don't like, don't go down that road. Don't, sure. don't chase that, that shiny object because you, you know, you'll never have enough, right. And you'll never be quite satisfied. But what will matter is the people you surround yourself with the opportunities and that, that, that sense of uh, camaraderie, right. And that, that, that sense of togetherness that you, you get when you, when you start to focus on relationships totally. and making that a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, restaurant unstoppable's mission statement is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. We're, we're going to empower people by sharing this, this social intelligence or this emotional intelligence yeah. of like, don't go down that path. Like it's, mm-hmm. we're learned the hard way. We're, 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 we're able to share this knowledge so much, uh, th- so much more effectively now, you know? Yeah. Um, it's important that we talk about it. So thank you for going there. Totally. Um, all right. So I think now we're at a good, point to take our first break 50 minutes into the conversation. I'm loving the conversation, yeah, by totally. the way. Um, usually we take our first break right when we start talking about the first restaurant you had sure. ownership in. So that is for you, Emmer and Rye. So yeah. that's what we'll talk about when we come back. 
Did you know Toast is the number one most recommended POS on Restaurant Unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two-thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. And I'm feeling pretty confident that has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause. To learn more, head to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners for a limited time, get one month of free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000. One more time. That's toasttab dot com slash unstoppable you have to use that link to save one thousand dollars we're back and now we're talking about your first ownership experience um you were working in miami you connected with the folks at emmer and rye uh how did that conversation go down uh i was back in austin and we met over um a cup of coffee at brew and brew here um had a really awkward conversation about uh, lactic fermentation where god bless kevin he only judged me a little bit for my uh lack of knowledge on the topic. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then basically I did a tasting for him in his apartment, um, cooked for him and his wife and had a, just like a really lovely afternoon that was, you know, half bonding, half, you know, us analyzing the food that I cooked and, you know, and I, I, I think the way his perspective on food informed mine, uh, is something that I am forever grateful for, you know, that time. And I think, you know, taking, you know, the prolific creativity that I was allowed at Uchiko and, 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 and how I grew that muscle and then was able to refine my purpose with that creativity through Emmer and Rye, um, is, uh, is something that I think gave me the voice I have in food that I enjoy using today. So the reason why you left Uchi in the first place was because you knew that that path, because you had clarity, which is tattooed on your arm, mm-hmm. right? You knew what you wanted and you knew mm-hmm. this path wouldn't, I mean, it would help get you one step to closer to what you wanted because you could tie your brand. Exactly. To, but at the same time, they, they wouldn't give you exactly what you wanted. You'd have yeah, to totally. Go and like, so, and that's fine. So you knew this and mm-hmm. you, and you went to get experience learning how to open restaurants mm-hmm. another great lesson there. Um, so you knew going into Emmer and Rye that, that you wanted to own a restaurant. Was that part of the conversation? Partnership, um, or when did that come into the, the car? It was, and then we kind of went back and forth with how that would look for you know the better part of a year, um, and then I think once like because originally I was actually going to leave after the first year, and okay. I was going to go open this restaurant in Dallas, which would have been the worst decision of my career. Super glad I didn't do that. <laughs> um, and so, you know that that was what it was. Um, you know we we got to where we got to. You know, and and you know I think that you know. It was it was a vesting position where like it vested over time, um, and I left before you know it was it, it was worth anything. Okay, you know. So how do you what advice do you have about partnerships? Like what what things did you learn from that experience on how to have those hard conversations? So I I think here's the thing, right? Um, you know, you're only you're if you're not putting money on the table, right? You only have as much leverage as you know the checkbook holder is going to allow you, right? You know, and now. I mean, that is what it is. That's the nature of business, right? Um, 
I think that, you know, I, I was very fortunate um, at Emory is that they really valued my cultural contribution to the business as well as my creative contribution to the business. And I think we both had, um, you know, a really, really strong kind of operational influence on how to take this business that we started operating at like pretty tough margins the first couple months and really kind of like drilled down to understand what the margins needed to be and how to create, um, you know, functioning operational, profitable financial systems for a creative enterprise. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I want, I would love to get into the details of how you drilled that down and how you locked that in, especially with daily food costs. Yeah. Um, we can get into the details of that, but, um, this idea of a partnership, because you ultimately did become a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, was that a conversation that was that happened on day one, or when did that conversation happen? Once we realized that I wasn't going to go anywhere, okay. uh, it, it kind of happened organically, and it, it was a very easy and fluid and natural conversation. It wasn't one that was charged or or difficult. It was very straightforward and you know and generous. Yeah. yeah. So, what's your advice for somebody who knows that they want? to be an owner mm-hmm. and that that's a goal of theirs. How do you bring that conversation up in a non-threatening, non like non, uh, I don't know, like uh, entitled way? Gosh, I mean the perception of it being entitled is going to be a perception that, you know, someone's going to have or not going to have. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, you know, you have to strike the balance of, you know, having a clear and well-articulated understanding of what your value to the business is. Um, and then, excuse me, your ask has to be, you know, consistent with your value. You can't, you know, if you're only worth like certain things, you can't ask for more than that. Yeah. Cause, cause a, it's not fair and B it's, it's, it doesn't reflect well on you Mm. because you know, it's like, well, you're this, why are you asking for this? Yeah. Uh, And so I, I think, you know, when you're talking about sweat equity in a business, um, and, and if you're talking about like, you know, no dollars in, right. Then, you know, you're not really in a great point of negotiation unless you're really down to do it for the long haul and your value is going to be put in over years and years and years. Mm. Right. You know? Um, so, so that's what it comes down to. I think that transaction of time for money is the fairest way to be a partner long-term if you're not going to put in your own money. Okay. Right. Because that consistency of execution and that consistency of vision and that knowing that you're going to be this kind of like flag bearer of culture and leadership over a long period of time, that has a lot of value um, that will create retention and consistency over time, which creates more value to the business. I love it. And how do you cement these agreements on paper to protect everybody involved? Lawyers, what, what, man. Yeah. Lawyers. And always have, cheap. <laughs> have your own lawyer. I mean, yeah. that's the thing, you yeah. know. Um, with all business relationships, no matter how good a friend you are, always have your own lawyer, always have your own point of reference, always look through something with your own eyes. And it's not a reflection on you being mistrusting of your, of your business partners at all. It's just the way it's just business. It. People change. Like the yeah, situations like, change. Totally dude. Yeah. And like, it's this fine. Yeah. Like it, it actually having something really defined and clear and concrete will actually save that relationship and not make it harder Why? because you won't have to have that conversation when time gets hard. You know, like when I, I mean, when I left Emmer, it was really easy. I just like, we had a very clear understanding of if I left early, what that value would be. And I just signed that paperwork and it was done and it, and it didn't have to be this like weird thing where it got litigious. It was yeah. very simple. You, you had an agreement. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the power of an agreement, right? Yeah. Um, so back to what you were saying earlier, you mentioned that um, drilling down, uh, getting your costs down and all that, like, 
take us through that process of really knowing to, to the penny, which is hard to do in a restaurant like Emmer and Rye when every day the menu it's actually changing. so is here it, is, is it where easier? it's super easy. Okay. People spend their time poorly. People spend their time on counting their inventory every week. Here's what they should be spending their time on running tighter purchasing, being okay with running out of things at the end of the week. Um, and just running straight purchases to sales every single day so that when Friday comes along and you've ended your Friday service, you can have a semblance to say like, okay, cool. I've probably done 80 to 85% of my revenue for the week at this point. So my cost of goods should be relatively in line. Okay. If they aren't, what have you done earlier in the week that you're sitting on? You know, what decisions you need to change? And so after about a month of that, after we look at like a 40% food cost, we're like, well, this is fucked. Um, so, I mean, after about a month of that, we're like, okay, cool. We've gotten these things in line now. Yeah. And that daily food cost, run daily food costs for the first month or two of opening, and it will solve all those problems. Yeah. And it's just purchases to sales, right? It's like, what did we do in sales? What did we do in purchases? What are we going to do tomorrow differently to make those numbers make better sense? Yeah. Like, day after day after day after day after day. And the significance of daily is the fact that that's, when you start to see trends, if you mm -hmm. do it, if you do it monthly, monthly, and then it's going to take three, almost three years to yeah. get the same data that you could get in a exactly. month because you can see how your efforts are going or stacking. And up. also the time impact of daily food costs, like the, the, the worst case scenario, right? If you're running like a gigantic business and when you're getting stuff from a ton of different purveyors, it's like maybe 10 to 15 invoices. Like if you're like really like have super inefficient, mm -hmm. Like purchasing, that's still like ten minutes of accounting, yeah. right? You yeah. know, yeah. If you do that over a month, yeah, it's a lot more. Accounting. I'm happy we got into that. Um, anything else from your time at Emmer and Rye before we move on? Yeah. Um. No. I mean, so it was a great time. So ultimately, what what was it that made you want to move on from Emmer and Rye? Oh, just that I needed. I kind of realized, and I and I and I and I backslid a little bit after this, but. I needed that. I, I, I just need to be my own boss. Yeah. You know, I, 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 you know, while I enjoyed the collaboration there and, and the collaborative environment, um, I'm just built a little bit differently. Um, and so to be, you know, beholden to someone else just wasn't going to be in my best interest. Um, and, and I wanted to live a different lifestyle than that type of restaurant would allow me to live. Um, and so, you know, I, I needed to make that choice for myself, you know? What like, is no. it about you that need that makes you need to be your own boss? What What is it that you've identified about yourself? To take a singular creative vision and then bring, you know, my team into it to kind of pick it apart and make it better. And then ultimately... Have know, it be your vision. Have create it, that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think I have so much creativity Yeah. Um, that having that vision drive the bus uh, is something that... Uh, it is like a great efficiency that I have um, that, I mean, it was just honestly, you know, I mean, I mean, Kevin's really, really talented. Um, and so there was like, a, just a, like a little bit of redundancy and skill set there mm -hmm. that was just like, okay, cool. Like you're really good at this too. You know, like you have the same vision and you have your own vision. So like having that kind of overlap while super helpful with food, like operationally just wasn't as efficient, you know? Gotcha. Um, but also really great short term, right? Yeah. Like it was like we, we did some really cool stuff, you no, know? I feel you. I mean, yeah. I think there's a time for to move on. You know, there's a yeah, time. Totally. And, and you, you, it sounds yeah. like you got the experience. Oh, yeah. Um, starting or were they, did they start with you? Well, you were there from day one, right? I was there from day yeah. one. Yeah. So again, building and staying with one brand for how many years? 
five years. I was with them for three and a half. Three and a half years. But still, you know, I think that in itself is another lesson. I mean, you can go open five restaurants in a year and a half. Totally. But there's something to be said about opening one restaurant and, like and, living in and growing that totally, restaurant man. And, and having that, like raising a child, it, you know, it, it really was. And, and, and that I think, you know, will probably always be one of the, my most formative, like both professional and personal life experiences. So what was the, in, in that time, how did you transform the most in that three and a half years or three years? It was personal. Um, I, I got a divorce. Um, I was like a shell of myself for a while. I was not the best chef I've ever been for a while. Um, I was not the best person I've been for a while. And I like had to grow through that in like kind of a public forum because like all my cooks knew like kind of what I was going through on some level because mm-hmm. I am terrible at hiding it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to go from like this like very deep internalized struggle to kind of needing to verbalize it and vocalize it a little bit so that they could understand what was going on with me. So they like, wouldn't be like, yo, what the fuck is going on with Paige? You know, they needed to know like, Hey, like life's tough right now. And then to get to the other side of that and then be like, okay, cool. Like I've gotten the other side of that. This place is ready to be something else besides what it's been for me, for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it's time to move on. Yeah. You know? So you, you chose to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did this decision come? It came, I mean, a few months before I left, I think. I mean, it, 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 it's something I was mulling over. And, and, and ultimately, it just came down to like how I wanted the long format of my personal and professional life to interact with one another. Um, and I realized that that was like kind of fundamentally different than, you know, what the group was. And so I was like, okay, cool. Well, then I need to go do that for myself because that's a little bit more atypical than what most restaurant groups do. Yeah. Um, so when, when did you actually um, sign and you know, on the piece of paper that you were, you know, selling your percentage of the business, right. And uh, break off on your own year and a half ago, year and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. And what was your vision for yourself? Like with this, this new type of lifestyle that you're trying to achieve, take a break first of all, mm-hmm. um, and provide myself time to reset. So I did some light consulting for about six months, um, and then did some not so light consulting for another six months. Okay. Um, and then really at that point was, you know, had clarity of vision again. Okay. And what were you trying to achieve? Like me, you're just trying to get that clarity. Um, when did this clarity come to you on the lifestyle you're trying to achieve currently to be able to, you know, if, if, if I want to be in a restaurant every day, uh, it'll be on my own terms. Um, if I want to not be in a restaurant every day, it'll be on my own terms. Um, to have that flexibility, and the options to, you know, live whatever life I want to live. If I want to go travel for a month, I can go do that, you know, um, to be able to spend time with my son whenever I want to spend time with my son and not have my time with him be an ask from a restaurant. Yeah. So my time with him is something that he and I choose together. Mm. Right. Um, and that fundamental concept of that choice always being a possibility. I mean, just the, the significance of on your own terms, I think I cut you off. Do you want to finish your, your train of thought? Just, just the fact that, um, you know, that, that fundamental concept of being able to make that choice and always have that choice, um, is that's like the deepest value. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think I, I would relate it to also a certain amount of financial freedom, you know, um, you know, that, that, that freedom of time and that freedom of finance, there's, there's a lot of overlap there where you say like, okay, cool. Well, like money is money, right? Time's time. What it provides us with is the choice to do something with it, mm. right? Whatever we want to do, whatever we value. And that fundamental choice is the greatest value in my life to have it every day 
is something that I will not trade. That's freedom right That's, there. Exactly. Freedom of choice. Exactly. Do what you want in any given day and to, to mm-hmm. not be locked into something. Um, but I, I think this is why I'm re- this thing. It took us almost an hour and 20, 15 minutes to get here. But this is why what really excited me about getting you on the show yeah. today is this idea that like, hey, like and I mentioned it to you while we we're setting up. I was like, I look at your path and I, I've, you've tied your brand to so many successful brands, mm-hmm. you know, Uchi, Star, yeah. Ember and Rye, all these incredible things like you are an investor's wet dream, man. Like, sure. like, like you, like this is what you spent the 10 years, 15 years of your mm-hmm. life doing, building up this resume of yeah. surrounding your brand with other excellent brands. And mm-hmm. like now you're somebody who I would want to invest in. Right. Sure. But you chose to not go that route or maybe you did. did so that you so yeah, that I'll early? tell that story. Yeah. Um, about, about seven or eight months ago, um, I, I was like, okay, cool. Let's do this like restaurant thing now. And so I got a group of investors together. We were about three quarters capitalized for the space that we had here in Austin. And we were like pretty close on negotiations, you know, all that stuff was moving along. Um, and then COVID happened. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I mean, a couple of my investors lost a significant amount of money. Um, and so that, that equation changed as well. And then mm-hmm. obviously just the kind of long-term prospect of commercial real estate, um, just is like super unstable. Right. And also yeah. I think it'll, it, it'll be the last line of defense kind of for, I mean, a lot of large companies, you know, we'll see how kind of rents go down and stuff like that. But I mean, all the spaces that I was looking at are still vacant. Yeah. And so well, and there's only going to be more vacancies. Exactly. So there's going to be more so, opportunity. So I'm, 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 I'm just going to like chill there for yeah. a minute, um, which I think is smart. smart. Um, you know, oh, I think, I think long-term what I realized is that, you know, I have some consulting contracts too that are long-term. I mean, and, and, and so I do, I am in, 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 in kind of the seedling stages of, of building a food and beverage group. And, and kind of what I've realized is that I want to do that with my own time on my own terms. And I will choose to interact in those spaces the way that I want. And I have some really great operational people that like, they love to live and breathe in a restaurant every day. And like, that's, that's their jam. You know, uh, that's not my jam anymore. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that was a hard thing for me to admit for a while because I thought it made me less of a chef. Um, it does make me less of a chef. It makes me more of a business person. Okay. And that's okay. And it makes me more of a well-rounded person. And that's also okay. Well, th- this again, it's just back, different priorities. Back to what the, the reason why I was excited for this, this conversation is because I feel like we need to fucking break the mold. I couldn't agree more. You know, and we the, have a fucking archaic system. So we have yeah. this system that is fundamentally de- like dependent on overpriced commercial real estate, um, especially in this market, you know, um, and this thing where you have these like, like incredibly saturated number of restaurants and you're just trying to like stand out from a crowd and Hey, like I have every confidence in my, I mean, food being able to stand out from a crowd. I have little to no interest in having that be my, my only pursuit and what I give all my time to, you know? Um, and so changing the way that people are able to experience that from a business perspective, when we first came up with Foxtail, it was it was going to be this like kind of like fine dining, uh, communal, just tasting menu experience, right? That happened. So in a very was small Foxtail space. the restaurant you were going to open? Yes. Okay. And what what was so you, you painted this picture earlier for us that you wanted to create a situation on your own terms? Mm-hmm. What was it about Foxtail that was going to be different that w- would have given you this thing that you were in pursuit of? So it was this concept that had a lot of efficiency to it because so it was half. A supper club, five nights a week, you know, fine dining, tasting menu, 12 to 15 courses, right? Super, super, super nice. Nothing like it exists in the state. Um, and then conversely, um, it was going to be this like healthy all day cafe that was just like a rad place to go hang out that was 
um, very locally sourced, and also consciously very affordably priced. Because I feel like in Austin, we've gotten to this point where you go out to have a good lunch, and it's like, did I just pay fucking $35 for a salad and a nice <laughs> yeah, tea? Like, yeah. what the fuck is happening right yeah. now? And so to be like super, like super consciously, not that. Yeah. Right? Um, and so that was the idea behind the concept, right? And so once, I mean, once COVID happened, I was like, okay, well, let's chill. Um, and then we we're like, okay, well, like that fundamental need to like celebrate, have a connection, um, enjoy a really nice meal with people that's missing. So let's provide that digitally. Great. And then the first iteration of it was to continue to build towards a brick and mortar space and also to, to kind of, let's see if we can grow into this more casual, healthy offering as well. Right. Um, and as we've kind of, I mean, refined the experience, we've realized that, you know, the offering, excuse me, the diversity of offering, it actually is not well served by being a literal food offering because our restaurant is now a website, right? You know, a physical space is now a digital yes. space. And so the offering and the diversity of the offering has to be a, a diversity of content, a diversity of digital offering, and, it, and, and an offering that is more than just $150 for a live experience, right? So then what does $5 for, you know, a month for X amount of, you know, canned experiences have? Or, you know, how do I teach you how to make a you know, a certain sauce or this, that, or the other, you know, and that diversity of experience from top to bottom, um, you know, whether it be, you know, high end subscription services or very, very, I mean, cost effective subscription services or a diversity of different live events or collaborations that we do from people around the country, yeah. which are all things yeah. that are about to launch. Um, that's the restaurant now, right? That's, that's the revenue model. And I, I'm so like, you're, you're preaching to the choir right now, man. Yeah. I love what you're sharing with us because like, um, like this idea that the restaurant isn't a physical space. It's an experience. It, well, it's an experience, but it's also a set of culture. It's a culture, totally. you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a soul, mm -hmm. you know, and this, and the soul is injected because of the people that are in that restaurant, totally the restaurant, you're not defined by the restaurant, totally you're defined agree. by the people and you don't need a fucking physical space to be a person. Yeah. And it's, so and, like, it, and it's, and it's so, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think the system is, you know, unfortunately broken. And I think this has shown us just how broken it is because yeah. if you are running a really successful business, right? in your industry and you don't have more than three months of operating capital. And that's the, the definition of a really successful business. Yeah. Right. But I mean, just, again, I, mean, I mean, there are so many people that had to go get these huge loans just to like keep paying all their hourly staff. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I mean, there's a lot of issues with our industry, but the, the cool thing when we say we get to choose how we come back, like you don't, I mean, like, don't focus on your brick and mortar today. Focus on who you are and what, and communicating what your vision is. Don't necessarily try to to get that vision tomorrow because sure. it doesn't happen overnight. But what you can start doing is developing your brand, collecting your emails, right? Surround like developing relationships with people that will become your your future, you know, regular guests, right? Yeah. And that all starts today with just totally what you're doing with totally. with your dinner clubs, right? And getting your name out there, getting your brand out there mm -hmm. under the, the foxtail, um, you know, image, right? Yeah. Um, but I love this, the idea that you're just inviting people into your home. I think that there's incredible opportunity right now because I don't know about you, man, but I don't like going to restaurants right now. They've, so, they've sucked all the soul out of yeah, it. Yeah, man. And, and, and I, I thought it very important when restaurants opened back up, I thought it very important to go back out to experience them so I could have perspective on it. Right. Because I didn't want to ask my guests to come experience something with me if I didn't understand, um, 
the alternative of that, right? Mm. And so I went to three different restaurants, three very different experiences, you know, one kind of very low end, one kind of middle of the road, and like, and then one of the nicest restaurants in town, right? Um, and they were all good experiences, you know, f- like food was really good, and also super uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, and, and like, I just, I, 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 I personally can't get over the fact that like, I can't be close to people. I can't really interact with people without them feeling weird about it. And then I can't hear my server cause can't see the smile she on, has their a mask on their face, you, you know? know? And like that to me is just like, it's, it, it, it's a fundamental barrier to hospitality that I'm so proud of my people that own restaurants for trying to overcome. And, and at the same time, I'm very grateful for my position right now to not being tied to a physical space so that I can create a digital space but, but or you, that we can overcome that differently. There's no regulations for inviting people into your home right now. Exactly. So you can give that level of hospitality that you're trying to emulate in mm-hmm. a restaurant. Like, oh, it's like inviting them into your home. You can literally do that and have no no restrictions. No restrictions. Just respect the people with whatever, meet them where they're at. They want to wear a mask, like do that. But, yeah. like, but like, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like, what you're doing right now, like kind of waiting to see what happens, starting your brand, doing dinner clubs um, is a really great approach right now. And I think that you're going to see a lot more of this. There's people that want to have that experience, Mm -hmm. but don't want to go to a restaurant because they don't feel safe. And I'm sorry, but putting masks all over the place and putting shields does not communicate. This is a safe space to me that communicates. It's fucking dangerous to be in here right now. I I might get some more man. I, 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 and, and, and again, like I, I, I respect what everyone's doing. They're doing what they have to do. They have right? to. The regulations, like they're, I like, they're, I totally they're under get a gun. It, you know? I get it. It's just not an experience that I've enjoyed so far. And so I'm just trying to create, you know, a different option for people. I think this is a way we can take back our industry and yeah. kind of say, well, okay, like maybe some people are like, that's not how we're going to overcome COVID-19. And here's the thing. Too, I'm kind of tabular um, to create that online experience um, through the website, which, um, you know, is, is kind of now our dining room. Right. Um, that has been, I think, the greatest area of growth um, and opportunity um, because, you know, there are so many different ways. When you think about it, okay, like if you just pull back all of the personalities in a restaurant and you say, okay, cool, I'm going to create a direct line from this personality to consumer, right? And like provide an unfiltered way for that person to interact with whoever their core demographic is. That's a really cool thing to just provide a yeah. space where we can build this little team that has kind of back end efficiency and also forward facing, you know, a forward facing voice yeah. on things that they just want to talk about yeah. and, and connect with people on, you know, that to me is just being able to build that platform for myself and others is something that's like really, really, really humbling and awesome. I love it. I just looked at the time. I just realized we got to start wrapping this. I'm lost in the conversation, which is always <laughs> a good sign. So real quick, before we go to the speed round, it will be sure. a true speed round. Um, just paint the picture of your operation as mm-hmm. it is right now. And you have the, your website so we and, have, yeah. and you're doing dinner clubs mm-hmm. within your, 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 uh, house. Uh, how are you selling tickets to that? What tools are you using? Uh, it's basically, we, they go to uh foxdellsupper.com and it takes them through the whole process there. Okay. And, but yeah. are you using like Eventbrite or like, how are you selling these tickets? Um, I just, they're, they're open for the month and you go to the website and you buy them and you just, and, and you just follow the link. Um, there's, th- so we sell them uh, through assembly kitchen. Um, and, and that's basically, you know, our backend payment portal. Okay. Assembly kitchen. Yeah. Okay. And also our delivery service. Got you. Yeah. Um, so you're also doing delivery. So you're, you, and you do meal kits too. That's part of what you guys are it's, offering. It's the whole thing. Okay. So, so the whole process basically is you go, you buy one, it comes to your door. Um, it, you buy a meal kit. 
yeah, comes to exactly. your door. And it's about 90% done. Okay. Right? And then when it comes time for the event, you can either hop on the Zoom call or you can, or you don't have to, or you can be passive in the experience. You can be active in the experience. Um, it's whatever you want it to be. You know, obviously we encourage everyone's, you know, participation. Um, most people are really into it. Um, you know, we have, of course, troubleshot some tech issues that, you know, when it takes, you know, when a bunch of chefs are building a digital experience, yeah. the, the level of expertise there is like a little bit more minimal. There's always a curve. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's what we've done. Um, nice. I, it's, it's, it's been really, really fun and really rewarding. And I think that we're really hitting our stride yeah. right now. But you're also getting active on, on social media with podcasting. I know yeah. you started your own podcast. Mm-hmm. Is that to drive traffic to create awareness around your I think, club or what's the purpose there? Yeah. I mean, essentially to create, you know, just an organic dialogue. I mean, I've been, I mean, a fan of, 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 of just the medium podcasting for the past like 12 years, you know? Yeah. And, and so that's like just something that I really engage in. And so I just wanted to also engage in it on an actual production level and then share that experience with other people. Um, because I think there's a lot of cool stories, um, both in and outside of the industry, um, that, aren't told, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, absolutely. The, I can't agree more with that. That's what yeah. I hear. And, then, and no, honestly, exactly. when I hear about other restaurant specific, other restaurant geared podcast starting, like I don't get threatened. I get excited because for the longest time, yeah. there's been nobody for me to collaborate know, with. That. It's been lonely on my yeah. Island. And now there's so many it. restaurant podcasts starting totally. and I, I'm out there looking to make an example of you guys. I think what you yeah. do, I think more people should be encouraged to share knowledge. The more people that get out there and share knowledge and explain how they're doing things, the faster our industry is going to transfer. Form. And that's our mission totally is to agree. inspire, empower, and transport. I, I want people to share knowledge. I, yeah. I want, and I want to promote those people that are doing what you're doing. So uh, I couldn't be more excited to be here. Uh, anything we have not discussed up to this point that you want to make sure we get out before we wrap, wrap I'm up? I'm sure, but no. All right. Um, <laughs> one question I do ask all my guests sure. before the speed round is how have you transformed? So our mission statement, again, is to inspire, empower, mm-hmm. and transform the industry. How have you transformed? I think, um, you know, going back to the recognition of, you know, who I had been for a long time as an employee and then who I wanted to be as an employer, um, were just as far as a lifestyle that I wanted to live, um, and how I wanted to show up for the people that I care most about. I love it. Awesome stuff, man. I've really enjoyed this conversation and we're gonna take one more quick break. Thank our sponsors. We'll be back for a true speed round. You hear me say it all the time on the show. This industry is all about relationships and people, but Even though you might be geared towards relationships and people, you still need to know your numbers. And if numbers is not your thing, I got to tell you about this book, QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for. Zach Weiner covers accounting fundamentals, including sales tracking, purchasing, bill paying, invoicing, managing day-to-day liabilities, gift certificate tracking, cash management, detailed reporting, and so much more. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reporting that will enable them to make better informed data-driven decisions. To learn more and to get Zach's book, head to zachweiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E. I N E R.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, if you use that link, you will save 50% off a one-on-one consulting call. Yeah, that's right. What are you waiting for? Listen, margin edge people are restaurant people. They want to keep it simple. Heck their own CEO even owns two restaurants. 
And to acknowledge the hardship on our industry, Margin Edge is offering their full platform free for new customers until September. To learn more, go to me.marginedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable. So what the heck is Margin Edge anyway? Margin Edge is the only restaurant management system to combine automatic invoice processing with POS and accounting integrations. This improves financial performance, visibility, and efficiency. It all starts with snapping a photo of your invoice with your smartphone. Margin Edge takes it from there. Every line item, every handwritten note is captured. Margin Edge then integrates with your POS, so each day you know everything you bought and everything you sold. Margin Edge creates a rolling POS with drill down capability and it flows effortlessly to your accounting system of choice. Additionally, Margin Edge does data entry of all your invoices, updates pricing on your inventory sheets, that's food and beverage, updates your ordering sheets, keeps your recipes, prep and plated prices up to date with real time kitchen recipe viewer alerts you if prices of key ingredients have jumped determines theoretical food and beverage costs slash usage versus actual usage eliminates cutting and mailing checks you'll pay vendors straight through the platform so what are you waiting for head to me.marginedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable we're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? And keep in mind, one word to a sentence will be done quickly. Clarity. What is your biggest weakness? <sighs> Balance. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're growing a team? What do you do outside of work? What are you looking for? Balance. <laughs> what's your, ironically? <laughs> what's your biggest challenge today? Today specifically, or um, just generally, like now time management. Time management. Yeah. How are you overcoming that challenge? Scheduling every hour of every day and it. holding to it. Being there's, accountable. There's a great book out there called "Eat That Frog" by Tracy, Brian Tracy, I believe. Um, the name of the book is Eat That Frog, but it's a great time management book. There's a lot of books out I'll there. I'll check it out. Right? I haven't read yeah. it. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. It's a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Approach everything with love. Love it. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is like something that's common within the four walls of your businesses, but not common throughout the industry. The same thing. Approach everything with love. I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Gosh, that's a loaded question. Um, I mean, I think. If you think that's a loaded question, wait for the last one. <laughs> I mean, this is a cliche answer, but I, I read it again recently and I just, it has so much intrinsic value to both personal and professional life, but setting the table by Danny. I Meyer. knew it. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it's like really informing my present reality. As I almost far finished as like the, the sentence standards. for you, but I figured yeah, I'd give it, you a chance. It, it's like, you know, I read it like 10 years ago and then, and I like read it again. What's later. the biggest lesson that that book made on you or impression it made on you? Pay attention to the people around you yeah. and, 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 and be keyed into what they're experiencing. I love it. What's one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Ask what they can do for the people serving them. Oh, nice. Uh, what is one service you've hired or outsourced to recently? It's like a person that does something better than you that you go to. Web design. Yep. Who's your person? 
Helms Workshop. Alrighty. Um, what is one technology you've recently adopted that's had a, a huge impact on your operation? Um, <laughs> just understanding the way internet connectivity works, which is I'm, I'm by no means a tech nerd, um, but once we started having like choppy Zoom experiences uh, with the Supper Club, I had to like deep dive on like how to get really high speed internet in an apartment building, which is actually not the easiest thing in the world. So I had to like just learn how to like prioritize certain ports, create different networks, so and how to run and like basically prioritize ports on dedicated networks for dedicated devices. Where do you go to learn that? Maybe we can share the resource to learn that. Uh, I, I called my internet provider, uh, which was AT&T, and they literally walked me through the whole process uh, of how to prioritize every single network, which was shockingly easy when you just learn how to do it. It's just typing in a bunch of letters and numbers to boxes. Okay. You know, like it's not that hard. Um, but there is no intuitive path to get there. All right, gotcha. So this is the last question. It's a doozy. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All Mm -hmm. the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of the industry and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Always show up for the people that show up for you. Mm, One. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. <laughs> Two. <laughs> um, no amount of work or professional success is worth significant personal sacrifice. Three. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to get yeah. real and honest and open with us. Uh, we appreciate you. We really do. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one person you respect and admire in this industry and would love to hear as a guest mentor in the show like you've been made Ooh, for Good question. Good question. Um, if you can't think of just one, I'll take multiple. Hmm. Makes my job easier finding the next person to make an example of. No, I hear that. I really hear that. Um, I think, you know, someone who I have tremendous respect for, who I think kind of gets overshadowed a lot because this town is such a, you know, prisoner of the moment of trend is, uh, is Bryce Gilmore, the owner of, uh, of Odd Duck and Barley yep. Swine. And I've had his dad that. on the show and I've had a lot of his, his business partners on the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think he's someone who, when you talk about, you know, having a sustainable business and cooking farm to table food in Austin, Texas, and the inherent allure that that, has had, I think Bryce made it not just the trendy thing to do, but the right thing to do and the only way to operate your business. And I think that we all owe him a huge debt of gratitude. It's not a trend, it's a standard. It's exactly, a exactly. Yeah, and and the, and um, I agree that that needs it, to happen. It's, it's, it, it's not like you should do it because it's cool. It's because it's literally better in every single way. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, the, the inverse is just a worse choice. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and I think we all in some way stand on his shoulders um, for him you know, pioneering so much of that yeah. for us in a way that he does not get enough credit for. Yep. And that's unfortunate Bryce. because I think, I think he's someone who is, is long overdue for a James Beard award. Um, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's a shame he doesn't have one and it's a shame he doesn't get more credit for what he's done for this entire state. Yeah. As far as how we perceive and digest fine dining and food. Bryce, look up, man. I'm coming after you. You've been on my radar for a while. I'm coming after you again. This is my reminder to try to get you on the show. I'd love to make it happen. And how can we connect with you if you want to maybe listen to your podcast? Yeah, totally. So it's uh, Fox Tales, two words, tales as in not something that's on the smaller your back. 
but uh, something that you tell. Got you. Um, and uh, and then that's on Spotify uh, and Apple Music, uh, and it's also on YouTube uh, in a in visual form. Uh, our website is foxtailsupper.com. Beautiful. Uh, email me at info at foxtailsupper.com or my social is Paige Presley, P-A-G-E-P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y on Instagram and Twitter. And this is episode 727. So head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 727. We'll link to any tool service, uh, book recommended and how to connect with Paige over there. Again, Paige, thank you so much. Uh, we got to wrap this up so you can get to your next meeting. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Uh, I can't say it enough. And there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Cheers. Yes, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable Chef Paige Presley. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and knowledge. Some great takeaways for me. The big ones early on in his career, six months without getting a paycheck. But when you give your time and your energy, um, there's you know, there's that's an asset. Those things are assets. You have to look at those things as assets and you have to look at knowledge as an asset too. You know, it's not all about just how much money you're making. It's about the relationships you're building, the knowledge you're getting, the experience you're getting, the, the, the ability to tie your brand to other success, successful brands. Like that's going to open up so many doors for you. So when you're young and hungry, be willing to change, to, to, to trade your time and knowledge uh, sorry, your time and energy for knowledge. Uh, it will pay off in the long run. I also love how open and honest Paige got with his substance abuse issues in, in opening up how important it was that he took the help when it was extended. You know, if you're recognizing that you have a serious issue and people are, are there willing to help you, take that help while you still can because you're not going to be able to do it alone. I think that's a really important message. And then lastly, obviously, um, well, I can't skip over the advice he came on building. He gave on building culture, uh, really important stuff there. Uh, writing down your purpose, writing down your core values, your vision, and, and letting people align with that. But you have to write it down so they can align with it. And then we also talked about partnerships, which is really huge. But really, really, that the the reason why uh, I was really excited for getting Paige on the show is because of what he's doing with these dinner clubs, and you know. Think outside the box. We're, we're, we're in 2020. There's different ways you can leverage your skills and your knowledge and your expertise to make money in this world. And I think those dinner clubs are, are one way. So great stuff there. And before I let you guys know, I want to remind you that we are in the process of switching things up at Restaurant Unstoppable. We want to slow down. We want to go deeper. We want to set up roots. Uh, we want to reconnect with past guests and really make an example of the people that had the biggest impact on me. And I want to bring you on this journey with me. I want to bring you, literally bring you into the conversation. So if you're interested in joining our network, Restaurant Unstoppable Network, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash network and join the conversation. You don't want to miss it. Peace out.